Hey guys, it's your buddy Brendan. Welcome to a very special episode of the BrandoCast. Now, I often say welcome to a very special episode of the BrandoCast. That's because in the last year or so, I've gotten the chance to talk to so many incredible people, people who make me laugh, people who inspire me, uh, people whose friendship uh, I enjoy here in the city of Los Angeles. We've had Dana Gould, Matt Walsh, Jillian Vigman, Paget Brewster, Ahmed Zappa, Arden Marine, Jimmy Pardo, my friend's Betsy Thomas and Adrian Wenner, just so many incredible people. Justin Warfield from She Wants Revenge, the great Michael Penn. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and I'm honored to sit down with every single person that I've done this show with. But today on the BrandoCast, you're going to get the chance to hear me talk to one of my idols. If we've been friends, you know I love the Pixies. If we've been friends from the late 80s, you know that this band is a part of the soundtrack of my soul. So today on the BrandoCast, you're going to get to hear me talk to Charles Thompson, aka Black Francis, aka Frank Black, aka the leader of the goddamn band. Um, I will admit to you ahead of time that I was nervous as hell before we started. I was completely drenched from head to toe in sweat after it was over. I have no idea how, how good a job I did or if I did a good job. I have no idea. But I just want you to know that it was a singularly amazing experience and I can't wait to share this episode with you. Uh, I want to give uh, a special shout of thanks to my brother Ryan and also to our very good friend Dave Phillips, who was instrumental in setting up this chat with Charles. Dave was uh, a member of uh, Frank Black and the Catholics, and uh, he's an incredible guy. So again, Dave, if you, if you ever listen to the show, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for setting this up. So for the rest of you, please enjoy my chat with Charles Thompson. Today on the BrandoCast, we are talking to an expert farmer from another dimension. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. All right. I'll, okay. Well, on that note, tell me my Jacob's cattle beans. I only planted them a few days ago, but I it was my second batch that I was planting, and you know, rather than you know, look at the seed directions on the back about every two inches, three quarters of an inch down. Da, 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 you know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. They go a little bit in the dirt, and don't you know, you don't crowd them too much. I get it. I just made some rows, some little furrows, and then I just like a little, just like a little farmer in my cap on. I was, like, I was just scattering seed from my hand, you know. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't bending down or anything. I wasn't like preciously trying to make sure that they were nestled just perfectly at the right depth. I was just like, yeah, yeah. Good luck to you guys. I hope some of you land in the right spot. I'm not gonna like get on my hands and knees. I'm friggin' sore, man. I've been like doing this farming routine for like about a month or something. And, you know, it's just like, can't we just like, like, you know, like they were doing the movies. If I had some kind of animal that could pull some little plow thing around, you know, that would like, you know, it would pull up the dirt and then, and then I drop the seed from my little satchel. Right. 
I'd have a little satchel tied to my hip and I'd be like dropping my little bits of corn or whatever down there. So anyway, right before you, the reason I'm late today was I got preoccupied because I had watered down this sort of casually sown patch of Jacob's cattle bean, very popular in Maine with the, <laughs> especially with the bean suppers. I've never been to a bean supper, but you know, you could use your imagination. We don't need to look, we don't need to go good, you know, be bean supper, say no more. So anyway, what, what is a Jacob cattle bean? Through. Some of them, like I, when I watered the, some of the water washed away, they weren't that deep or whatever, or some of the birds kicked it around or whatever. So there were some beans that had started to soften and maybe even potentially germinate, but they were there exposed to the surface. So I was just going around with a little pole and I would, you know, make poke a little hole, push it in with my toe. You know what I mean? It was still kind of casual. I had to make up for my, my, I had to make up for the casual lackadaisical kind of like, just scattering the Jacob's cattle bean. Anyway, that's why I'm late. May I ask? So obviously, you do not have an ox. No, I was uh, married to an ox. <laughs> that's a compliment. That's a compliment in the Chinese zodiac, which is kind of a misnomer. It's not really zodiac, but I am a snake, and the snakes do well with oxes. But you know, we we were a good match in a lot of ways, but we were for other reasons where we're not a good match. And anyway, she's still in the area doing her ox thing. She lives down the road, but, um, yeah, I don't, so I don't have no ox here no more. It's just me. I'm just a lonely guy. Sometimes as you know, I've been a lot of times my kids are here, but you know, I got a cat shit. I think there's some fish I'm supposed to feed. Oh, you know what I got? I got chickens. That's kind of a farmer deal, right? Well, I got you, you chickens. I got five black chickens, and three that are kind of like the kind of tan, kind of golden tan color. Big day out there in the coop. You know what happened? <laughs> Check this out. You're going to love this. This is a great story for your podcast. Yes. Uh, so set the context of chicken coop, right? I uh, repurposed a uh, children's climbing structure play thing. It was made out of wood. And uh, I couldn't get the freaking thing up ripped apart to get it out of the yard you know i managed to get the swing set and all that shit out but the the main meat of it was just like you know it was those damn hex bolts or whatever and it was just like ah oh, fuck you know i gotta go find another kind of tool to you know I, I ripped it apart as best i could but there was a, still this main house the little house that you play in it's pretty big i yeah, i could stand up in it, you know what i mean it's got a little porch and everything so anyway i turned that into the chicken Right, I, Home Depot dropped off a bunch of wood here. You know, I didn't lose any fingers. I like, you know, I was a carpenter for about you know six weeks when I was seventeen, just long enough to figure out I never wanted to be a carpenter. Right. So anyway, I cut up the wood and I made the turnings. I built a run, you know. So today I open up the little slider door that goes into the run from the you know the the coop is the sort of the bump the little house that they stay in at night so they don't get eaten by an animal, right? And then you slide open the door and then go out into the run. But of course, I got to go into the coop every day, catch them, throw them through the window and go, no, it's that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're always terrified, of course. And, you know, so, but today, the 
four of the chickens, uh, the two oldest ones are these big black chickens. They're all covered in black. They have a couple of white feathers, but they're very coal looking. You know what I mean? They're very, uh, they're almost ravens, but they're fatter than that. But those couple of them are older. They're like, they're like a month older than all the other chickens. So those chickens are kind of confident. They're more confident. They're not quite as afraid of being murdered by <laughs> me. So anyway, I opened it up and I didn't take them out. And four of them came out one oh. by one. They all came to the top of the ramp. There's a ramp on the other side, inside the coop. They came up to the top. I don't even have it properly scaffolded or whatever the word is. I don't have those little little stairs, those extra little threads to help them, help their little chicken feet get up. I like whatever. I ran out of steam when I was building that part of the coop. And it's like all slippy slidey and everything. It's just every time they're on there, they're like, whoa, it's a slide. You know, slide down. I'm not a cruel chicken owner, but I mean, whatever, man. I left off the little treads and they slide around a little bit on the thing. But they came out. They were a little slippy slide, but four of them, one by one, they're like, they were ready for a new experience. They'd been in this dark coop all night. They opened that door. They're like, all right, I'm going to go check it out. You know what I mean? They stepped forward. They they crossed the threshold from darkness unto light. And it was it was great. And so one by one, of course, they follow each other. You know, they're kind of caught. The, the, little, the little blondes, they wouldn't come out. And there was one more little black chicken. He wouldn't come out either. Uh, but four of them came out. So I was good. I was happy. You took a photo of one of your chickens uh, the other day and posted it on your Instagram account. Do you remember which chicken that was? It's definitely a black one. I don't know. My daughter has got names for all of them and everything. I don't know how she tells, oh, tells the difference. I can tell by the colors of the feathers. Is like one. There's like two types. There's like two breeds or whatever. I don't remember what breeds they are. I mean, I picked one. You know what I mean? But it's not like I'm going to remember or write it down on an index card. Wait, let me write down the breeds of chickens I got this year. I'm just, I'm not quite at that level yet. I know there's probably a good reason to do that. Then you'll know, like, what their style is, whether they're big egg layers or whether they're good in cold weather or whatever, you know. I think I probably pick ones that seem like they're hardier in colder weather. How are the eggs? I, I don't got eggs yet because they're too young. Oh, okay. I gotcha. won't get eggs. And I got them when they were chicks, you know. So they're... Uh, I think around August or September, they should be ready to give eggs. But boy, oh boy, they're ripping up that run. I just put all these, you know, lawn clippings and scraps from the kitchen, you know, all the vegetable scraps and everything. And, and I give them food. I give them mealworms, you know. And, uh, you know, they're pretty well fed anyway. But, boy, they just, you make a mound, you know what I mean? And then they just tear through that mound over throughout the course of a day, looking for something to peck at. You know what I mean? Is peck, 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 peck. That's all they do. Do you and have any other? Do you have any other animals on your uh, gentleman farm? No, the 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 municipality won't even allow me to have a rooster. Only chickens. No roosters here. What? It's too close, it's too close to the downtown because they're too loud. You know. So I get it. But uh, I don't care. They're kind of mean anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, the I mean, last thing I'm going to ask. That's why, I mean, you know, they're protectors. You know I mean, they're, they'll come. I mean, you get you might. If I had a rooster, I wouldn't have to be so worried about the, the other animals eating them. I could, like, rely on the rooster to kind of, like, at least let me know when something was up. 
You know what I mean? I was I gonna... seen some raccoons slinking around in the bushes the other day. Daytime. Daytime he was doing this. So he knows what's going on because you never see them in the daytime. Right. So right. You can, can tell it was like chickens. I have some friends who have chickens here in the city of Los Angeles, and they attract the coyotes like nothing else. Yeah. That's one thing I liked about L.A. was the coyotes, seeing them. I used to like seeing the coyotes are like coming back from the studio, you know, like four or five o'clock in the morning. You know, it's not quite dawn yet, you know, and there they were, man, right in the middle of fucking Burbank Boulevard or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right in front of the TV studios, you know, just like standing there like a cartoon character in the middle of the road. Like, yep, man, everyone's asleep and I'm just walking around. Well, I uh, I have an Australian cattle dog, and uh, he was attacked by three coyotes in Griffith Park a couple of years ago. We were on a very early morning, uh, like a 6.30 a.m. hike, and uh, really? we were off trail, and out of nowhere came three coyotes, and luckily my dog was big enough to sort of fight them off for a second, but yeah, they're everywhere. They don't have a lot of coyotes around here. They have that you see anyway. They have the what's so-called uh, dog yodies or whatever. Oh, is that a hybrid? Yeah. They look <laughs> kind of like coyotes, but they look kind of like dogs. But you see those guys slinking around sometimes. But, uh, I mean, there must be real coyotes, too. I just don't see them here in the town. I see the dog yodies. Well, some someone pointed them out to me, said, told me what it was. I would never have known what it was had this guy not known and said, hey, look over there. That's a dog Yodi. I'm like, what the hell's a dog Yodi? <laughs> like, I know language well enough that I was able to figure out, oh, dog Yodi, I get it. It's a mix between the dogs. Didn't know that they did that. That's a powerful mix. The last question I'm going to ask you about farming is you have been posting uh, photos of, are you a uh, paneer? You're making bread. You're clearly making bread because I'm seeing it on your Instagram mm. account. And you posted a picture of something about an hour ago. Oh, paneer, that's cheese. God, am I dumb. I no, no, no. It look, but it looks kind of like a ball of dough or a ball of bread or something <sighs> like that. When you, when you photograph it in that kind of restaurant cookbooky way, just sitting there all by itself in its minimalist way, you know, on the cutting board. You know, one of the, that's how I, that's what I've been. I don't post much on that account, but I've been posting. I posted a few loaves of bread. I posted... Uh, some tempeh that I made, and uh, that came out good, actually. That looked really good. But the paneer is really easy to make, you know what I mean? If you if you eat cheese, you know, it's that Indian cheese that doesn't really melt, you know what I mean? It grows up really nicely. Yeah. Sometimes they even serve it kebab style, you know, like uh, tandoori oven grilled on a, on, a, on a spit or whatever. But um, sometimes, uh, sometimes they mix it with spinach, you know, sag paneer, you know what I mean? Right? So it's this kind of it's got some good integrity. You know what I mean? It's kind of a kind of almost like mozzarella. It's got that kind of, you know, of uh, integrity, but it's uh, it doesn't really melt kind of like the halloumi cheese, you know, uh, the Greek cheese, but it's not salty. You don't put any salt in it. So it's not salt. Only salt in it is whatever natural salt is there in the milk. So you get some milk or some goat milk and you bring it to a boil and then you add the acid to separate the curds and whey, you add like lemon juice or vinegar or something. The lab, the one that you referred to this morning, I got a little wild and I, I got some limes around. So I've done the lime juice before, but I did with I don't know if it, it doesn't really, 
give you the flavor of the veg of the fruit that you're using unless you use a little too much i think <laughs> <laughs> but if you can get it just right maybe so that it's just like just a hint right so anyway the the, the acid that i used seemed to work fine was uh i had i used a half a lime and a half of an orange you know i squeezed the juice in i got the reaction then you so that's what you do. You just separate. You just gets all clumpy in this hot milk that you've boiled up. And then you strain that off in the cheesecloth or a fine mesh strainer or something like that. You just sort of let get some of the get most of the water off. You just pack it into a bowl or something like that or a dish. Chill it up in the fridge for a little while. You know what I mean? If you want. I think some of the Indian recipes, I think they might. One lady that I watch, I can't understand it because she's, she's, it's all not in English. It's like in Punjab or whatever. And, um, but you know, she's kind of cute. You know what I mean? And she's got, <laughs> she's like, it's like really adorable, like housewife, you know, Indian housewife kind of lady. She's a little chunky. You know what I mean? She's always got like her pretty outfit that she put on for the day that she kind of picked out and everything. Like all nice. You know what I mean? And her hair is kind of combed and, She's real, you know, kind of, con she's not super conservative looking or anything like that, but she's very mommy-esque, you know what I mean? She's just, I think she's got like a little family. She's got, a, sometimes her little daughter's with her, but um, anyway, she's real cute. I like her. <laughs> when she makes the paneer, she puts a little bit of cornstarch in it before she chills it, you know what I mean? She kind of yeah. mixes it up to give it even a little more integrity i suppose but i've been making mine just straight yeah i sliced it up this morning and i grilled it for breakfast with um with some garlic and some onions and some uh cilantro and some uh celery greens you know i get this celery the other day it's got like the greens on it are massive there's like <laughs> just as much green as there is stock or whatever you know what i mean so i've been kind of eating them up like greens, like parsley or something. I just chop them up and add to whatever I'm cooking, you know? And uh, they taste good, you know? Anyway, I had an egg. It was a pretty good breakfast. So the paneer, <laughs> yeah. The paneer, that's what I post on the uh, on the account. I, I, that's the main thing I've been making lately. Our oven broke, so the stovetop works and the broiler works, right? And then we got this bread machine, right? Bread machine's okay, you know what I mean? I'm not an artisanal bread maker, but, you know, I kind of get it. And the bread machine is more of a quickie. Just pour it in here just the way so, you know, follow these instructions exactly. And in, in three hours, like magic, you will have a loaf of bread, right? <laughs> so it makes, like, pretty good quickie, like, white bread or whatever that you want to make a bologna sandwich on or peanut butter sandwich, that kind of bread. So my kids are like, Dad, the bread's awesome today. Just like, I just, like... So I've made we made a few loaves by the by the fire by the by the fire pit in the backyard. Came out pretty good. It's kind of challenging, but you know you got to watch it. But um, we're getting better at that kind of fireside cooking. You know, you make a little Dutch oven with a pot. You know what I mean? Put it in there. But so anyway, the oven's not working though. The broiler's working. You can make a loaf of bread in there, but you got to put it under a cookie sheet and watch it. it takes a long time. I cooked one on a stovetop, came out pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the 
They made a Dutch oven right on the grill, right on the stovetop. You know what I mean? Yeah. I put a big cast iron pot there and I put a little stand in there to put another pan. And then I put the dough in the middle there and I put it on real low temperature and I just let it, it took a long time. It wasn't like perfect, but it was like in the end it was bread. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was good. So are, I made a I made a rye bread yesterday in the bread machine that came out pretty good actually. Are you ready to take any of this stuff to a farmer's market? Could you take any of your loaves of bread or or your paneer to the local farmer's market, set up a table, little tent, you know, and uh, you know, fair prices for your local neighbors over there? I would say that sometimes one of the batches of whatever comes out good enough that you could, you know, you could present it in, the, in a in a retail setting like that. However, I would say the way that I'm doing things is inconsistent enough that you wouldn't want to like present. You wouldn't want to mix that into kind of a business model. You know what I'm saying? Would be they're probably not that practical to be like. Some days you make out like gangbusters. Other days people are like, "Yeah, your paneer is a little weird today. It's kind of crumbly or something." You know what I mean? Like last week it was like beautiful. You know what I mean, what's what's up? What's up with that? You know what I mean, you can't have that kind of inconsistency, right? You cannot. No, I I, I completely agree with you. I but mean, uh, you got consistency with the. I mean, you know, you probably try to record at a certain kind of like quality level or whatever. I don't know. You, you edit it to you edit as put a certain amount of time into the editing and give that it's a certain kind of consistent style maybe right you know you do things so that people aren't like thrown off the next time they experience your thing right consistency oh, that's a thousand percent however i i think i would fly to new england just to buy some charles t tempeh or maybe you'd come up with a with a name for you do you have a name for your farm just just thompson's <laughs> Thompson Farms or whatever, you know. Thompson's Thompson's Tempe, subsidiary of Thompson Farms or whatever, you know what I mean, or offshoot. I haven't made uh all the vet you know, some of the vegetarian fans of you know, they I periscope something totally unrelated. It's for like five minutes a day. Yep. Bang a pot at six o'clock, right? Anyway, but I think some of the vegetarian fans that are following along they you see me with these chickens. They're very the. They see the campfire and they immediately go to chicken murder. They're just like, oh man, please don't kill the chickens. Please don't kill the chickens. So, truth be told, I'm probably bonding with these animals a little bit. I, I'm not going to slaughter the animals. I'll. And my daughters have. I got two. Of my daughters are vegans. I'll have to do full funerals. You know what I mean? When they. Oh yeah. They, it's full on burial plot. Little, little little gravestones and everything. No, you so can't. You I'm cannot not get away with slaughtering these birds. No, 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 no. You cannot. Circumstances, right? You cannot. I would gladly eat a roasted chicken, you know, uh, roasted on the fire for sure. But these are just egg layers. That just, you know, um, I am looking forward to the eggs. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, it's actually a lot of fun watching you. Uh, on Instagram, uh, post various uh, and sundry pictures of uh, stuff that you're making. So uh, it's it's actually it's it, it brings me great joy. Just know I that. only post if it looks good, and I only <laughs> I think I did post one of like meal to show like this is what I use the paneer in, right? Yeah. So I did one of like a follow up, 
But I try to just take a picture of like the singular thing that I made, the loaf of bread, the, the hunk of tempeh, whatever, you know what I mean? You know, try to keep it about that, you know, because yeah. that's what everyone's doing during this coronavirus. They're hanging out in the kitchen a lot. Hey, I never made bread before, whatever, you know, they're kind of, everyone's doing all that. So uh, the, plus you mix that in with the whole internet foodie culture thing or whatever. Oh man, there's this one guy you got to watch. Who's that? I can't, I can't say his name. He's Indian. Uh, <laughs> so he's got a long name and I, I tried to memorize it, but I, I forget now, but his, his YouTube channel is called, I think it's called crazy. It's either called, I think it's called crazy for Indian food or crazy for Indian food cooking or something like that. And this guy is awesome, man. He's a chef, right? I don't know if he's got a restaurant or whatever, but no words. It's one of those. It's no words. Yeah. It's just him in a field with his sunglasses on. And, he's, and he goes and he picks whatever vegetables he's going to use. He almost never, the only thing he brings in from the outside world is he's got a little box with some spices. In it. And he's got this little log. It's not even a fire pit. It's just two logs placed perpendicular to each other. And he sets them on fire and gets a little gets a little fire going. You know what I mean? Yep. And he, and he and he he pulls up a bucket of water from the the water hole there, you know, in the middle of the field. Rinses off the vegetables carefully. He's got one knife, one cutting board, and he chops up his things the way he wants to cook it. He's got the big, he's got like two pans maybe, and he he brings oil sometimes. You know, I think even when he makes the paneer, he does a goat nearby the farm, and he shows him going to the guy who's got the goat. And getting the bucket of milk for the goat, right? That's how simple it is. And he he takes his time. He's not in a rush, man. No talking, no words. Just the just he's sitting there in the field, just making this like his dinner, you know. And uh, just and all the stuff just looks beautiful, just the colors and everything, right? So he finally makes some, you know, I forget which part of India he's. I think it's somewhere in Western India. Makes the whatever he's making. You know, and he usually makes a little bread to go along with it. He makes some kind of flat bread in the pan, you know, brings a little flour from the outside to make a little little naan kind of thing. Rolls out the dough, does the whole thing. Makes the whole thing from scratch. Everything, man. Just fucking beautiful looking. And, you know, it takes about, you know, the his editing, he edits it down to about 20 minutes, half an hour, or something like that. And then uh, gets to the end, and he just, like, he just sits down the log and he plates it all up and everything. And then he eats it. And he just like takes his first bite and he just like closes his eyes and he triumphantly like, oh man, this is so damn good. And you know, <laughs> it is. You watched them, you watched them fucking pick it and cut it and cook it and everything just so, you know what I mean? And it looks amazing. Anyway, that is the best food guy I've ever seen on the internet. Are you down with Doña Angela? the Mexican grandmother from Michoacan who has her cooking uh, channel on YouTube called Demi Cochina. No, I haven't oh, seen that. Oh, oh listen, I'm going to, honest to God, she's a little Mexican grandmother and she cooks in the traditional way. And yeah. I'm telling you, just based on what you told me, I'm giving you the gift of Doña Angela. And again, if you just type in, in uh, YouTube. Doña, De- and what's the second name? Angela or Angela, yeah, A N G E L A, and and the the show the her channel is called Demi Demi Rancho Atu Cochina. 
even though okay, I grew up from in my New- ranch to your kitchen. Yes, and All and right. and she will, and she just uses she uses old school cooking materials. Uh, she uses old school instruments. Uh, nothing is measured. Everything is just she just grabs, throws in a pot. She's just uh, it's fantastic, and she's wildly popular as well. So she, uh, she's making a yeah. couple bucks. Uh, and it is um, you just want to jump I through watch that this evening. Yeah, she's she's great, and you know she she speaks not a lick of English, and it doesn't fucking matter. And she goes to town, um, and I will say that to anyone listening to this show right now, uh, you got to check out that YouTube uh, channel. Now, speaking of food, before I forget, because I don't want to keep you too long, I want to tell you a little story about me and food. A number of months ago, one of my favorite bands uh, on the planet Earth uh, was playing at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, California. Um, my brother and I uh, went to the show with our friend Dave Phillips, who I think you know. Uh, before the show, my brother and I went to Guisados Tacos on Santa Monica Boulevard. Now, Guisados Tacos, for anyone who's listened to the show, you know I love Guisados because they make tacos in the right way. It's sort of an elevated version of what you'd find on a food truck. And they kill it. And so we went and we had, uh, my brother and I had a lovely meal of uh, uh, beef tacos. And we had some carnitas and some of the wonderful chips that they make there. Just had a a damn good time. We walked over to the show and uh, a a lady by the name of Kristen Hirsch was opening up for my favorite band. So we got there early so we could watch Kristen. My brother had fancy tickets, so he got to sit in the balcony. I put myself basically in the front row, right in front of Christian, having a good time. Get through her set. It's fantastic. Wait a little while. My favorite band comes on, a little band called the Pixies. And I would say around minute 45, minute 50, I started having the cold sweats. I am literally, I am literally, I could reach out and grab Joey Santiago, but I was struggling because my stomach was telling me that um, you're in trouble, bro. I said a little prayer and around, I would say an hour and five minutes into the set, I had a big decision to make. Now I live in uh, Studio City, California. The Troubadour is roughly 25 minutes away by car. I had my car yeah. parked nearby at a, uh, at, I have a secret spot near the Troubadour where I can park my car. And I had a big decision to make. I had to leave. Otherwise, I was going to have uh, a big problem right there in the middle of one of the most historic music venues in the city of Los Angeles. Right. So, I, I, so I, I turned around and I had no idea how packed the place was because, again, I'm basically a head away from Joey. Uh, I'm very near uh, a gentleman who looks a lot like you. Um, and I turn around and it took me 14 minutes to fight my way through that crowd. I got to hear three more songs, which was great. Long story short, I barely made it home. I barely, barely made it home. I, 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 I didn't even park my car in a legal parking spot. I just parked it in the middle of the street, ran out, got to the comfort of my own uh, restroom situation. And uh, I will never forget that night uh, for as long as I live because I had to. I, it was a big decision to make. I had to leave my favorite band in the middle of a show or else... I would uh, create a situation in the Troubadour that would have been unpleasant for a lot of people. And there was no way that I was going to use uh, the restroom at said venue. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that I, I, I apologize. The bathroom at the Troubadour probably would have been 
maybe not the most, you know, the best place to, to have to deal with uh, no. some minor uh, dysentery or whatever. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I think it would have made me sicker. I would have picked up coronavirus from uh, from that bathroom. I, I actually think it's possible that the coronavirus started uh, in that bathroom because that is. Uh, God knows what has gone on in that restroom uh, since the mid '60s. But you know, it probably wasn't the the, ta- the taco place. Oh no! What was it? It was probably like another meal before that. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't even do that math. You know I mean like a lot of times? I mean, at least my understanding of it is sometimes you get some food poisoning. I mean, you kind of know what it was, maybe sometimes, but I think also sometimes you presume it was the last thing that you had oh but it was actually a lot of cases i think it's it's maybe the meal or two before that oh. that's really what actually made you sick something you had and it just you associated with the last thing that you had right but, but just whatever that's worth you know what i mean because it sounds like you enjoyed your meal there and i just didn't want that to be a place that you don't go to anymore necessarily i feel disappointed about that it might not have been might not have been the taqueria. Um, I have a terrible. It, it could have been Jersey Mike's. It could have been uh, Pinocchio's in Burbank, which is a great Italian restaurant. I don't know, but I think you've just, I think you've just opened my eyes to the situation because Grisado's Tacos is incredible, and again, they they do everything right. All right, Charles. Today uh, we've been we've been gabbing about all kinds of stuff. I, I if I can hold you for a couple more minutes. Maybe uh, I'll just get your thoughts on Leon Russell because in the background, we're listening to Roll Away the Stone from Leon Live. Claude Russell Bridges, a.k.a. Leon Russell, was born in Lawton, Oklahoma on April 2nd, 1942. He began playing piano at the age of four. He was an American musician and songwriter and one of the pioneers of the Tulsa Sound. His genres included pop, rock, folk, gospel, bluegrass, country, and rhythm and blues. And as a session man and a touring musician, Russell performed with hundreds of giant artists, including Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, the Beach Boys, the Stones, Clapton, George Harrison, Ringo, Joe Cocker, Helen Reddy, Bob Dylan, J.J. Cale, Willie Nelson, and Elton John. And here is my quote from Leon Russell. Most writers just have one song. If you can get that one right, well, you're doing okay. And again, we are listening to Roll Away the Stone from Leon Live. Now, when I asked you uh, to do this show, you just came up with the, the word Leon Russell. Can I ask what Leon Russell means to you? Well, uh, I mean, I like his records. You know what I mean? It's, you know, and I like his vibe. He's like, you know, if you can imagine, you know, you might picture, you know, your Bob Dylan, you know, being up there at the pulpit, so to speak, maybe a little aloof, maybe a little distant, right? Maybe uh, slightly on a different plane or something, you know, Uh, Leon Russell's like that. So, you know, uh, but even more, you know what I mean? Even more so, more, more distance, more, you know, like, I'm just doing my thing here and take it or leave it. You know what I mean? Like just very under, you know, not trying to sell you anything. You know what I mean, I mean, if he is trying to sell you something, he's just doing it purely by the, his delivery. You know what I mean? Or his, the, the song that he decided to perform or whatever. But, um, so we're talking about Bob Dylan, you know, there's a great track. Leon Russell produced, I think a, like a session for Bob Dylan. I think they did three or four songs. I can't remember the other songs, but the one that's 
made it. It wasn't even a, I think it was a B side to Lay Lady Lay or something like that. It came out on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume Two, the one with the blue, blue haze kind of cover. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Just yeah. Like a kind of a, almost a silhouette, kind of a photograph of Dylan with his fro and his, his, his guy's harmonica and his jean jacket on. It's a great album cover. But uh, anyway, on that compilation, the Leon Russell produced track, and it's Leon Russell's band, basically. Um, Leon's not singing on it, but he's playing the piano, and he's producing the session. Uh, there's a song called Watching the River Flow, and that track, it's a good, it's a great Dylan song, but it's a good, good example of the kind of uh, sound and vibe that Leon Russell brings to music, you know, uh, especially in a lot of his earlier records from the early 70s, like just that whole gospel tinged rock and roll kind of soulful thing, you know, that, that uh, he's kind of known for. Of course, he's also known for being the band leader in the Joe Cocker Mad Dogs and Englishman era, like all that tour and everything. That's all kind of directed by Leon Russell. You know, he's at the piano, he's running the band basically. And it's all built around Joe Cocker, but, but the vibe is, is, is Leon Russell. So that's one of the things that I always liked about him was just the, his aesthetic, you know what I mean? Just the, not just the songs and the, the styling of the songs, but um, the, uh, the punch of the delivery. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, it's like, if, if it wasn't so sweet in so many ways, a lot of it, you, you would, you could, you would term it aggressive, but I don't want to use that word aggressive because there's still something very uh, kind of warm and kind of comforting about the sound, but it's, it's, it's pretty like, you know, it's pretty start the motorcycles. You know what I mean? It's, it's a good sound, you know, but there was something you picked earlier in the podcast, uh, roll away the stone. That's got that vibe totally, especially the live version, you know, but, um, of course his, his, his song, uh, he wrote songs for other people. He wrote, uh, I'm on the top of the world looking down on creation. Yep. Helen ready. I think he wrote top of the world. Yeah. Um, and superstar and superstar. Yeah. So he's, he's written a lot of great songs. Um, you know, and he was hanging out in L.A. during all that, you know, uh, Phil Spector, Wall of Sound, and what do they call the other guys? The, the Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew. He's like kind of like not in the Wrecking Crew, but kind of like part of that whole world. He was, I think, he was kind of his own little Wrecking Crew kind of thing. Yeah, but, he's uh, he. Uh, I you know, I'll, I'll full disclosure. My um, I am hardcore. I'm 52. So when I'm in third grade, Kiss is the biggest band on the planet for third graders. Uh, so my, you know, my music deviated more to hard rock and punk. You know, Van Halen, Husker Du, Iron Maiden replacements, uh, Saxon Rush, ACDC, Dio, Dinosaur Jr. Uh, uh, you guys, a whole bunch of other things. So I never really delved into Leon Russell, but when you you know, I knew who he was, but when you suggested him as a topic of conversation, I immersed myself in Leon Russell for the last couple of days. Uh, and he played on everything and he played with everybody. And he, he did, you're right. He was not a, a full member of the wrecking crew, but he played on a ton of wrecking crew songs, you know, with people like Glenn Campbell and, and, and Hal Blaine and, and Carol Kay and most of the Phil Spector records. He co-wrote, God damn, she's just my style 
by Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Yeah, he produced a bunch of stuff for Gary Lewis. Uh, you know, this diamond ring. I think he kind of like that wasn't his cup of tea per se, but that was his that was his day job at the time, mid sixties. And he and he was also uh, on the house band on Shindig. I have a seat, even though I've described my oh, love. Great, yeah. The, uh, the the TV show where they're sitting around, hanging yep. around. Uh, yep. Yeah, that thing is great. That's really cool. And he's also um, in the house band on the Tammy Show. If anyone has that DVD out there, the the famous. Oh show. yeah, that's right. He is. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I, he's got um, he's got a lot of good uh, pedigree. You know, just his whole all of the, all the things that he was that he absorbed or whatever from different people probably too. But, uh, but his, uh, his vocalized, his vocal stylings are like, it's so stretched out and kind of like, I don't give a fuck what you think. It's just like this. Well, well, right. There's a not afraid of a nasality tone in his singing. He'll just be like, you know, he's just like, he just like pushes whatever, part of his voice he's using he just kind of ramps it right to the max he doesn't care if it makes it unintelligible or weird sounding he just like basically just turns on 10 or whatever all the way up you know and you know the in his whole look when he had that kind of long hippie hair but the gray coming in you know what i mean say around 1970 71 scraggly jesus beard you know you know, uh, mirror sunglasses, man, you know, you know, cigarette there on the piano, just looking raggedy rag hippie guy, you know, <laughs> and sometimes with like a pop hat or something like that. And just, um, just cool as anything, man. Just like, you know, hardly ever a word to the audience, you know what I mean? Just like, whatever, man, I'm just here. I'm just going to play. <laughs> and I'm going to play the heck out of it. You know what I mean? I think his attitude is, uh, Love his music, love his songs, love his voice, love a lot of things about his stuff. But him, that whole attitude, his whole attitude, whether it was an affectation or that it was an expression of what his personality was really like, I don't really know. You know what I mean? But it, you know, played that uh, played his role very well. You know what I mean? When he was on stage. Well, let, let me just say that he I think he's just a, a purely authentic character. You either are or you aren't. And that guy is uh a pure swamp rock boogie. Let me play. Let me play. Shoot out the plantation from Leon Live, and I'll just it's read a couple things. It's a great song. I'll, let me just read a couple things to some of the people playing along at home. In 1972, Russell and his band hit the road for a large-scale concert tour. A live performance was recorded at Long Beach Arena on August 28th. 1972 and released as a three record set this was leon live a couple weird notes about uh leon russell on may 15 1976 leon and his then wife mary performed satisfy you and daylight with john belushi as joe cocker on saturday night live in 2011 he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and the songwriters hall of fame he continued to rec record and tour and play with everyone on the goddamn planet up until his death on november 13th 2016 in nashville tennessee I i've just left out so much of the of the of the silliness that i wrote because i really wanted to hear about uh, making paneer and tempeh and uh you know raising um uh moody chickens uh, and I didn't want to bore anyone else with uh, some more stuff. But let me just say to the people, 
You have a real treat if you don't know Leon Russell. There's so much good stuff uh, on YouTube. There was a documentary about his life that was recorded in the early 70s and finally released uh, a few years ago called A Poem is a Naked Person. And uh, there, if you haven't delved into Leon Russell, just fucking do it. Um, Charles, as we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to say about Leon Russell or or maybe uh, share some uh, some some final farming tips with us? Well, I'm not a very experienced farmer. I admit that. So I'm probably a little light in the tip department, but I'm excited to do a follow-up. If you really want to know, I want to, I'm trying to grow. My dream is to grow a lot of corn, different kinds of corn, so-called heirloom corn, so-called native American corns, (laughs) not just the sweet sugary yellow corn, but the, the multicolored corn, the red corn, the black corn, blue corn, all that kind of stuff. What? Uh, I'm what, in New England. I'm in New England, and when I finish growing my corn, I want to grind that corn up, and I'm going to make little Johnny cakes. Wait, is what's a Johnny cake? You know, it's like a little, it's like a little bread, a little pancake. You know what I mean? All you need is some some cornmeal. You could add something else to it if you want, make it a little more interesting or whatever. You know what I mean? Crack an egg in it. I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. But basically. <laughs> You're just making these quick little fry bread, little thing, make it by the fire. You know, it's like a, it's a knapsack food. You know what I mean? You can yeah. like wrap it up, stick it in your backpack or whatever. And, you know, you could make it uh, more, use more floury grind or mix it with other flowers and make it more like a pancake if you want, whatever. But I guess Johnny cake is just kind of like a, you know, I guess it's like the sky, the equivalent of like an oat cake, except it's made with cornmeal. You know what I mean? just like a quick cheap food based on corn and so that's really what i'm trying to do here not really knowing what the hell i'm doing i'm growing the the so-called native american trio you know corn beans and squash you know what i mean trying to grow those three and, and those are good kind of fill your belly up kind of hearty foods you know what i mean got the starch of the corn you got the protein and the bean you know get all that water lush luscious water content you know from the squashes you know what i mean is it challenging to grow corn i don't know i haven't grown it since i was a kid we grew when i was a kid a little bit you know just in the backyard you know what i mean so as i recall you know we you know you dug up the dug up the ground and you planted the corn seeds you put water on it and the corn came up (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's kind of what i've done here i'm just it's just some backyard just a backyard from you know, I try to get a little bit off the YouTube, you know what I mean? You know, tips or whatever, growing potatoes in pots and things like that. You know, do some of that stuff. Check out some of the off-the-grid people, you know what I mean, that do all kinds. Of, you know, I'm not really a real farmer or anything like that, but, you know, it would be fun to uh, eventually learn how to do it at, at a higher level. You know what I mean? you got to put time into it, I guess, is what it's, what it's all about. And now, like everybody, i got all the freaking time I can possibly imagine. I've never had this much time to do anything. Yeah. My whole life. Yeah, right. So let's plant some corn. Yeah, I think you were supposed to be out there on the on the road with uh with another band called Pearl Jam right about now. Isn't isn't that right? Yeah, we were supposed to play a show with them, some big Hyde Park show and then a show down in Italy somewhere. But yeah, Christmas is canceled pretty much. Well, it's I, I think that I think, you know, as long as you're an expert farmer in another dimension, you got that covered. And then you're just bringing that knowledge from that dimension into what you're doing now because it's all connected. 
and uh, I hope uh, I hope nothing but success for for Thompson Farms. I would invest in Thompson Farms if I had more than five bucks to my name. But uh, I believe in it. I think there could be a really cool logo. And if you ever choose to sell paneer and tempeh at the local farmers market, I think people you know, would travel from far and wide just to give it a shot. Maybe I could, you know, work in like "Where's the Mine" and like the little theme, little theme song for the for the ads. You well, know, come on, those songs. You know, Thompson Farms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Nimrod. It's Nimrod's Tempe. <laughs> I tell you, boy, I wouldn't mind making some booze right now. Is what I like to make. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't delved into that. I'm kind of, I'm in a no liquor zone right now for the last year or so. I tell you though, I'm kind of getting ready to like make some kind of hooch or something. Well, if you get the corn going, you could you could do a corn hooch. <laughs> Maybe that's where the core mistake is like, you know, hard alcohol kind of uh, direction. Well, I'm guilty. I've been drinking too much. I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm a fat guy. I want, I want the, I'll take the Johnny Cakes, man. Whatever. I don't care about the hooch that much. Um, I'm not joking. I've gained 20 pounds in the quarantine because uh, my lady and I have been drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of pizza. So, yeah. uh, that, that ain't Sorry. good. I mean, I, I've honestly, I've, I'm finally pear shaped and I'm, I'm giving over to it, but you know, getting through the quarantine, whatever it takes. That's, that's all I have to say, Charles, I am, I'm beyond grateful for the time that you spent with me today on my dumb podcast. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, as a, as a lifelong, as a, as a fan since the very beginning, um, this has been uh, a, a giant thrill for me. I've been sweating like a baby because I've been so nervous, but uh, you're you're an absolute delight, and I, I just can't thank you more uh, for your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to help out. Okay. You're the, you're the best. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for tuning in. The Brando cast is finally taking off, and we can keep on rolling with your help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, enjoy, share with your friends on social media. We love seeing reviews on Apple Podcasts. It all helps. Got some great shows coming down the pike, including Mr. Brian Stack from The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So, until the next time, cats and kittens, 